it's, it's, uh, it's going to be more of a talk, if that's all right with you. I don't have my three points, all that rhyme with a particular letter or anything, my hermeneutical uh, expertise. I just want to talk to you tonight. We just want to get the flavor of what's happening and then move into prayer. And uh, so uh, bear with me for that. Jesus, would you help us tonight discern and understand some realities of heaven and some realities of who you are and what you do in prayer? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What I want to share with you are some concepts. First of all, a clash of worlds, a clash of realities. There really are two realities going on here. There's the reality of the physical realm that you see, hear, feel, and touch. And then there's the reality of the spiritual realm that we need to understand is alive and real. Right? Okay? Now, uh, many of us, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are blind to the spirit realm. You have no clue about the spirit realm. That's why people go to palm readers. They have Ouija boards. They, they believe in ghosts and all sorts of goofy stuff because they know there's a spirit world, but they have no insight into that world. And so they, they realize it's a greater reality, right? It's super or above the natural. They recognize this. The world recognizes this. And, and so they're trying to tap into it somehow, through horoscopes and stars and Ouija boards and some kind of uh, psychics and and that kind of help because they realize it's there but they have no way to tap into it, no way to touch it. But you do as believers because you have the very Spirit of God dwelling within you so you can hear the voice of God and I believe that the Lord wants you to see into that spirit realm and we're going to get into that. All right, and to know how to move in that spirit realm and how to call things from that realm into the physical realm. So we have to be aware of the two realities going on at all times. And so when you're faced with the situation you're praying for, there is the reality of what is physically. Someone may be sick with cancer, and that cancer is a reality. It's there, it's in the cells, it's a mass, it shows up on x-rays. You know, it's not pretend, it is real. But there's another reality coming against that that you have authority with, and that is in the Spirit of God. There's a reality that God wants that person healed. There's a reality that Jesus is going to move in that person's life. And so we need to be aware of the two realities that are present. You might be facing something today that is overwhelming you in the natural But you need to understand that the supernatural can change the natural instantaneously. And what happens with us is we look at the natural and we think that dictates the supernatural. But the natural is ordered by time and sequence of events. The supernatural is ordered by a God who is above time, beyond time, and can move in the eternal realm. Let me share with you some of those thoughts. Your view is the physical reality. You have physical senses. You have eyes to see, ears to hear, nose to smell, mouth to taste, hands to touch. That keeps you in tune with the physical or the natural realm. And what you read from those senses, you process in your mind for what is real. But believers have been given another set of senses, and that's the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit keeps you in contact and in touch with the supernatural world. 
You can hear the voice of God. We want to be able to see what the Lord is doing. We want to taste and know that the Lord is good. We have authority in our voice to speak the will of God, which is spirit, and to declare the will of God. So these are the two realities. And we have to remember that they're always moving and shifting and in uh, sometimes opposition with each other or in harmony with each other. And so we're the ones who need to be bringing the spiritual into the natural. Look at Isaiah in your outline, Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do you like that illustration? Uh, How high are the heavens to the earth? Can you measure the universe? Man's tried to measure the universe, but I'm talking solar system to the ultimate degree. How high is the difference between God's point of view and our point of view? My point of view is a 21st century man living in Roseville, Michigan. With whatever education I have. And how does that compare to the Lord God Almighty? He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So we have a problem when we begin to sum up God according to our natural experiences. God is beyond that. Would you agree with me? God is well beyond just the natural realm. Time, you can experience time right now at 739. I can wait here till 740. Hasn't changed yet. But you know what God could have done in that, that silence that I just spoke? That didn't make sense. I didn't speak. It, what could have happened in that period of time? He's outside of time. He could have moved heaven and earth and done whatever he wanted in that realm and come back into that particular second he wanted to speak. When God comes on the scene in a particular thing, well, we use that term. Here, I'm using time again. When he comes on the scene, he's always in the scene. He's on the scene. He knows the scene before the scene happened. And he knows what's coming for that scene. See, when you approach something, God's already known the outcome and what is there. But we're limited to a forward thinking. That's all we have within the minute. And so he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And how do we limit God by our thoughts? We define God by our thoughts. We define God by our theologies. This tells us who God is. And that's in human language. So it's inferior to the reality of who he is. You with me? All right. Says, my ways are not your ways. So we have got to begin to get the mind of Christ. We have got to begin to see God's perspective on things. Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I like that. How many of you have confidence in God? He's going to do what he wants. Are you okay with that? You sure about that? Yeah, sometimes. Because the difference is what we're seeing is bothersome. It's worrisome. And we, so, we say to God, do you see this? Do you understand what's going on? Are you sure this is going But he already saw the end of that thing. No problem. You're going to get through it. You're going to be scraped and bruised. But no, you're going to get there. 
We're worried about the scrapes and bruises. He knows the end from the beginning. We've got to trust Him. And there's one thing. We sang it tonight out. We sang that God is good. God is good. His nature is good. There is no evil in Him. There's no shadow of turning. All that He does is good. Always good. The supreme good. And so every situation we are going to face, He will do it His way, and it will be good. And you may have experienced this catastrophe. You may have experienced sorrow. You may have experienced heartbreak. But in the end, He knows it ain't done yet. In the end, it will turn for good. So trust Him. Revelation twenty-two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When he says he's the author and completer or finisher of our faith, that means he knew you from before you began. He knows you at what you're going to ultimately be in eternity. You can't see that. All you see is what you see in the mirror today. You weren't too happy about it. He can see beyond that. He knows what you're going to become. Can you imagine that? He knows the glory and the glorious body you're going to have in heaven. The testimonies that you have yet to go through, he already knows. He's seen them. That's why he's encouraging you. Hang in there. You've got a lot of good things yet to happen. He sees these things. It's a perspective we don't see. There's a reality about you that you don't even realize. This is why it's so important to speak prophetically over our children. Speak to young people about the hope in the future. Speak to old people about the hope in the future. God said, I have a hope and a future for you to prosper, to bless. There's so much we have to speak over. We're such naysayers. We're so negative all the time. We're speaking such negative stuff. I don't like this. I don't like that. This person's that. This person's that. Begin to see in the Spirit. Begin to see the reality of God. They may be that way because of what they've been through, but Jesus is about to heal them in the next week. You can't see it, but He knows it's coming. So put up with them another week till they get healed. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine according to the power that's at work in us. There is, now this is what amazes me, in our prayer life there is a realm that is above, it's exceeding and abundant. Like abundance not enough, right? Now I like abundance, do you like abundance? Americans love abundance, we live for abundance. That's our motto. Abundance, abundance. I made that up. All right. But, but we want, he says, I work exceedingly abundantly. That's excessive abundance. Right? He said, I do exceeding abundantly above all, above all that you. Now that's a compilation of everything you've ever asked for. Above all that you could what? Ask or even think of. I like the NIV, imagine. You can't imagine that. Come on, i got a wild imagination. I really do. And I love the fact that I can't out-imagine God. I had no idea my life would be the way it is. I couldn't imagine that. And He has taken me into realms I never could have imagined would happen in my life. Couldn't have planned it. He does exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. Could you imagine? No, you you, you can't. You can't. 
It ain't going to happen. It's better than that. Whatever you imagine. All right? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. If our prayer life was simply based on what we see and feel. Well, guess what? Most of it is. And that is low grade. That is too small. The church has lost its imagination. We've lost our asking power. Is it too much to say, I want all of Roseville saved? I want to see strip bars closed down. I, I want to see bars closed down because the presence of God is so amazing in this city. When people drive through it, they're convicted of their sin and they look for a place that they can find prayer. That is not far-fetched. That happened in Rome, New York in the 1800s. These are not far-fetched ideas, but where's our asking for that? I want to see in two weeks every chair filled with a prodigal who is weeping and saying, I must have God. It's been a stirring, something's been challenging me, and I've got to come back to God. And in two weeks after that, the balcony's filled. And that's on a Wednesday night. Now I'm imagining that. Can God do that? He can do exceeding abundantly. You see what I'm saying is we're not asking enough. What we're asking for is what we see and feel in the physical. God's saying, I need a people who will ask what they will see in the spirit. Do you see what's happened to us? We've come into the natural and all we do is ask about the natural. When he sees something so much more glorious... And so what he says is, uh, uh, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or imagine, according to what? The power, that's his power, and where is it at work? In us. He wants us to work in that spirit realm of the eternal plans of God and bring it into the natural realm. So you've got to be in touch with the spiritual realm. You've got to believe for that spirit realm to call it out. Now, how did that happen? Let me uh, give you a few examples. How many of you remember when Israel was running out of Egypt, away from the Egyptian army, and they come smack dab in front of the Red Sea? This is a problem. It's a dead end. There's nowhere else to go. There's mountains beside them. There's a sea next to them. How are we going to get through? And there's an army coming. In the natural, it's a dead end. But in the spiritual, was it a dead end? People can't try and get everybody to swim. How are we going to get these thousands of people across? In the natural, you can't see it. But what happened was... God wasn't worried about this. God's the one who made the course. He set them on that course. Can you believe that God has ordered your steps? In the natural, you've got a wall of water in front of you. You can't get past this thing. But when you go to prayer, you've got to tap into the spirit realm to realize God doesn't have a problem with this. And so he says, Moses, Moses, pick up your stick, buddy, and hold that thing up. And you speak to that sea, what he was doing is you declare what I have already in advance, in advance ordered. Didn't he tell Moses to bring all those people back to the burning bush? Anybody remember that story? He did, actually. I'm, if, if you don't know it, he did. 
Moses heard God at the burning bush, said, go get my people. He went to get them. And on his, he said, you bring them back to this burning bush on Mount Sinai. So he got there, but there's a Red Sea in between him and an army chasing him. God already had this thing all figured out. Moses had no idea to talk to the sea and that it would part and that there would be a landmass that they could walk right across. He had no idea that when the, when the, when the uh, Egyptians would follow, God would close the curtain on them. God would close the sea and destroy them all. Who would have thought? Moses didn't. Do you think someone in the crowd of Israelites said, hey Moses, I got an idea. Hold that stick up. See what I mean? Above what you could ask or even imagine, God is already there. We've got to begin trusting that our prayer life can tap into that realm. There's an answer for us. There is an answer in every situation. But what we do is we stay locked into the natural and we look at it and we go, can't be, can't be. How many of you remember, uh, 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 what's that fellow's name? Gideon, right? Philistines uh, uh, were, was it the Philistines or Midianites? I think it was Midianites. So they're coming against Israel, taking all their wheat and, and all their food, right? And, and so Gideon wants to keep some food for himself, so he starts thrashing the wheat in the wine press, Okay? Now, wine presses are not where you thrash wheat. It's where you make wine. But he did it in the wine press so that he could be hidden from the enemy and still get some food out of this. Now, an angel comes and says, you know, Gideon, thou man of valor. That's a man of valor? He's hiding behind a garage. He's he's trying to get whatever he can eke out. You know, that's a man of valor. But God was speaking prophetically of what his identity was in the future. But it's not the future to God. Does that make sense to you? When God looks at you, how many of you know that verse that says that he knows how much you can handle? Right? There's there's always a way of escape. He knows it. But you don't know how much you can handle because according to how much you can handle right now, you're at your limit. But God knows what you are becoming. And he calls that into you now. And so he called Gideon a man of valor because he knew what he was going to become and he needed to start it right then. God knows what you're becoming and he's calling you unto that calling. Physical and in the natural, you don't feel you can handle it, but God says, yes, you can. Let's get started. Can you imagine that? You have a little baby, right? And you say, you know what, we can't let the, this baby, don't let that baby try and walk. That baby's going to fall down. We're going to hold that baby till we know it can walk. So when that baby's seven years old, you say, okay. Now, don't fall. That's how we handle God in all this. No, you let that baby fall, you let that baby walk, and boom, and get him back up and say, come back, come back, come back, boom, oh, get back up. Because you know that baby's going to walk. You can see that. You can prophesy. This kid's got two legs. They work. He's going to walk. Right? God is prophesying over you that you can do greater things than what you're doing now. Do you believe that? Are you tapping into what God is prophetically saying over your life? Or are you limiting your life to what you know and see now? And so we've got to move forward. How many of you remember Elisha? When he was in his house, 
He had his uh, bathrobe on. He's probably eating Cheerios. He's reading the Torah, you know, and he's sitting around and, and his servant says, ah, there's chariots all around the house. They're coming to destroy this house. But Elijah didn't look at the natural. What did he look at? He saw in the spirit realm. Elisha then prayed, God, open this man's eyes. Uh, open his eyes to what? Spirit realm. Spirit realm. Okay? God, let's pray that for the church. God, open our eyes. And so when he went to the window, Elisha said, look at man, would you look again? Go out there and look again. And when he looked, he saw the chariots of fire. He saw all the angelic hosts surrounding his house. Ooh, I like that. We've got to begin to believe that there is a greater reality than what you know and see. Your prayer life has got to take on the dimension that there is something greater than what you see. Is cancer greater than the power of Jesus Christ? We have got to begin to recognize that when we're praying for people, we're commissioning angels, God sending out ministering spirits. You've got to use your imagination. You got it. Why do you think God gave you imagination? Why did God give you an imagination? So that you could begin to expand your understanding of the realm you're in. Could it be? I mean, how many inventions were created that started with imagination? Imagination stretches you past the natural reality into what could be. Does that make sense to you? So go exercise your spiritual imagination for what can move into the prophetic of what can be. Begin to praying into that. We limit God to what we see. God, you've got to change this. You see this, God? This is the problem. Right here, you have to change this one little thing. And God's got a plan to go around that little thing and bring 700 other people into it. But you're praying about the one little thing. Stop praying in the natural. We need to begin praying in the Spirit. Your perspective, your, your position determines your perspective. It says in Ephesians 2, 6 that God raised Jesus up and He seated us with Him in heavenly places. We have got to begin praying from the throne room of God. That's the vantage point. We must pray. So what are our resources? Right? The Word of God. The, the realm of heaven. All that is of heaven. And God is looking for people who could imagine that what he could do with a situation. Now let's look at Jesus and see how he did it. In John 5, 19, he said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. He goes on to say that the Father is continually working and doing, and so the Son does. Now, there's nothing fancy in the Greek about these words. They're very plain. It says that Jesus sees the Father doing something, and then Jesus does it. Now, how do you translate that? What's happening? Jesus is looking in the Spirit. He's seeing what His Father wants and wills to be done. He is then determined, as He sees it, to make it happen in the physical realm. So Jesus said, every work that was ever performed by him, his father did first. So when he walked up to a blind man, and the blind man needed sight, he in the realm, remember it says he got up every morning, early in the morning, 
to fellowship with the Father. So I don't know if it happened at his prayer time. I don't know if it happened instantaneously as he's in front of someone. He saw in the Spirit, Father touching him, right? He's in a crowd of people. Father's touching him. So he goes, oh, okay, Father wants him healed. All right, what do you want? The blind man says, I want to be healed. He says, yeah, right, you're healed in Jesus. Amen, you're healed. Because Jesus saw the Father do that, and then Jesus moved. And I believe, I have to believe that this is the program that Jesus initiated for us to follow. Because again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're expected to do what Jesus did. But we would say, well, I, you know what? It doesn't work that way. It, it, we haven't seen it. We haven't heard it. But in, if, if this is what Jesus says we're to do, then despite what I see and hear, I'm going to do it. Call me a fool. But I'm going to follow my master till I begin to see it happening. Right? How many of you have ever worked out? That's exercise. Oh, look at all of you. How many of you work out? I said, I'll put it past tense. How many of you have ever worked out? Okay. How many of you don't work out anymore? Okay. <laughs> work on your abs? I have one big ab. I don't need a washboard. I've got a washing machine. <laughs> so how many, you ever work a muscle? Oh man, does that hurt. You want to go back and work it out again? I don't want to work it. It hurts. You got to strengthen it, right? Resistance and strength. Resistance and strength. You know what? The church gave up its physical routine. It gave up its workout because the the gifts of the Spirit operate by exercising them, by using them, and and moving them. And when something doesn't happen, we're done. Yeah, forget it. It ain't working. Right? like many of our diets and many of our workout programs. We started great. We signed up at the beginning of the year. And by March, forget about it. But if we're going to see healing, if we're going to see deliverance, if we're going to see prayer that changes the world, we can't quit on it. We have to exercise the muscle of the Spirit of God in the church again. Does this make sense? We have to do this. If no one else will do it, Christ Community Church will do it. Are you with me on that? Some of you? Amen. And so we have to have what Jesus did. Jesus saw the Father do it, so he did it. And so that's the pattern. We have now the Holy Spirit of God to see in the spirit realm, so what we have to begin doing is praying and exercising our spiritual muscles to discern and to hear that we could see and hear what Jesus wants done in people's lives. And he would... He would speak to us and and he would commission us to to speak to someone or lay hands on the sick. As we see him, we will do it. And we have to have that confidence. And this is what he's preaching. This is what he says. And so that's the standard of bringing the reality of heaven into the earth. That's what Jesus did. Let me give you an example. John 20, verses 3 through 6. Simon Peter, this is the resurrection, right? They hear, Mary comes and says, the body's gone, someone took the body of Jesus. They go running to the tomb. Peter and John are running. Uh, John's quicker, he's younger. So he sprints there, he gets, he looks in the cave, and Peter, I love this about Peter, he's a little slower, but he's Peter. He gets to the cave, he doesn't stop, he ducks and goes right in. And it says that Peter saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth 
which had been on Jesus' head, now lying, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, there are two Greek words here for seeing. The first one is just visually recognizing. Peter went in and physically saw that Jesus wasn't there. That the, the napkin that covered his face and, and the, bed, the, the, the shroud that was around him was collapsed and the covering over his face was folded up and set aside. He saw that, physically saw it. John came in, it says he saw it, different Greek word, which means he understood. Have you ever told someone something, they go, oh yeah, I see. That kind of understanding. John went in, saw it, and what? Believed. Okay, so there's got two guys who see something, yet one sees more than the other. Why? Faith. Faith. He, 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 he got it. All right? He, he recognized that with that, I, I, you know, it can happen in an instant. How many of you have ever had a word from the Lord that is instantaneously, it, it like fills, it's so full. It happens in a split second, but yet there's your history, the history of something else and a reality of this and 10 Bible verses all in an instant. It's just a download. Anybody ever get a download like that? Just go, whoa, what just happened? John runs, he sees it, and bam, 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 bam. He's getting it. He's recognizing it. This is the cloth over Jesus. Jesus got up and folded it and put it down. He saw it. I want us to move into the realm that we don't just see with our eyes. We see with our faith. This is what the church is to become. A people who see with their faith. They see in the spirit realm the plan of God. The purposes of God. And they trust God and they believe. I'm just preaching the gospel. This shouldn't be anything new to us. But yet, we've got to grasp it. Amen? Jesus said this in Matthew 17, 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you mark says to when you speak to the mountain you can cast it into the sea now okay that's an expression it's a hyperbole uh you usually can't pick up mountains they're really heavy and so to not only just to speak to a mountain right say move from here over to there so the hyperbole, the expression is that this, it's a, it's a compare and contrast, a little tiny mustard seed and a mountain, right? You're getting the compare and contrast? If you have the faith of a little mustard seed compared to a mountain, a mustard seed can move a mountain. That's pretty awesome. That defies the physical realm, doesn't it? That defies the natural. Mustard seeds don't move mountains. But faith does. But faith does. And that's the lesson in this. That's the lesson. That if we would trust Him, 
if we would see and know what Father's doing, then it can happen. He said, nothing will be impossible for you. Why would he say that? Why would he say nothing's impossible for you? Because he wants you to do the impossible. Could that be? Why does he want you to do the impossible? What seems like the impossible? Can I tell you what seems like the impossible? That some Jewish rabbi in 33 AD in a small insignificant place that according to world history no one else was paying attention to went to a Roman crucifixion and died on the cross for every human being. It seems impossible that that would be the salvation plan of God. And that through that event that was, would seem to be unnoticed when it happened, nobody in Africa, China, over in South America, nobody paid attention to that at 33 AD. No one knew what was going on there. What significance? It didn't happen in the sky where everybody could see the moon and the sun rattle and shine and this and that. Some guy hanging on a cross for six hours, he's dead. That's God's plan for the salvation of the human race from the beginning of time? And that what he says is, I've trained these 12 fellas for three years, and they're going to take this message of what I did, and they're going to go into all the earth, and they're going to come to every nation so that all people everywhere can have the opportunity to come to Christ and have eternal life. Doesn't this seem impossible to you? But it's happening. Because he gave his church power, power to accomplish it. Paul said, you foolish Galatians, what makes you think you can start off with the power of the Spirit and finish this work by your effort? Basically what he said is, how stupid are you? You think this can be accomplished by our programs, by our mass media, by our best efforts on TV? Look at if what's on TV is our best effort, it ain't working. No. This thing started by the Spirit, it's got to finish by the Spirit. We've got to get back to the one who brought us to the dance, the Spirit of God. And we need to start operating in the plan Jesus had for saving the world. And that plan is the impossible. He needs mountain-moving people. He needs people who will look into the spirit realm and say to that mountain, get out of the way, we are coming through. How about speaking to the mountain of, of Islam in Iran? There's a man in Texas, right? You met him. He was our speaker last year. There's a man in Texas that is speaking to the mountain of the Islamic religion covering over Iran, saying, get out of here and move out of the way. And he is broadcasting the gospel 24-7 into Iran, and there is a revival going on right now in Iran. Now, that's impossible. Above what he could ask or even imagine, God's doing this work. And the mountain's being removed. Isn't that crazy? What about Russia? The mountain of communism in Russia moved, cast into the sea, and the church survived 70 years of communism and atheism, and the church is thriving. Because prayers said, mountain, get out of here. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in China. 
because of the mustard seeds of prayers going up, the mountain of communism is coming down. You see what I'm talking about? Come on, we've got to move in that realm. Now Jesus is making a reference to a mountain being moved because in Zechariah 4, it says, He said to me, He said to Zerubbabel, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says this, Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace and joy. See, Zerubbabel was called to rebuild the temple. But how are you going to rebuild the temple? There's armies against you. There's nations against you. And God said, I'll tell you how you're going to do it. You're not going to do it by might. You're not going to do it by power. It's not by chariots. It's not by guns. It's not by weapons. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And he said, so I speak to that mountain. You look, you so big mountain, you so great. You're going to be a plain, flat as can be. And he's going to bring in the capstone to start this work right on top of you. So he's just quoting from Zechariah. He's just, Jesus is making reference to what the Spirit can do. You know, we're coming into times where people are arming themselves with guns and tanks and all sorts of crazy stuff because it's going to be Armageddon. It's going to be crazy. People are going to be killing each other, this and that. You know what? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord. You know what the church needs to do? Arm themselves with guns and rifles and bazookas. That's why we're building this addition out there so that we can put all sorts of weaponry in there because in the end times we can kill everyone. That's the plan of God. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? What do you think a church should do to arm itself for the end times? How about learn how to pray in the supernatural and speak to mountains and say, get out of here. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. I'm going to have three people come up to me afterwards and say, but Pastor, I really feel I should have a gun. All right. I like what Carl Taughty said. I don't know the guy. I just read his quote. Stop talking to God about how big your mountains are and start talking to your mountains about how big your God is. Amen? I conclude with this. From promise to prophecy. What is a promise? Think about what a promise is. Does a promise have to do with the past, present, or future? Future. It's a promise, right? If you had it, you wouldn't hope for the promise of it. So a promise is a declaration of what is to come, right? You promise your wife, I'll take you out on Friday. What's she looking forward to? Friday. Oh, that's tomorrow, right. Okay. I almost missed it. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, it's Wednesday. Sorry. I did miss it. All right. So a promise is a declaration for the future for you to draw on. Am I right? And how many promises have been given to us through God? Tons. There are future hope. They're prophetic. Promises. Promises are prophetic. They're yet for us to call on them. Every promise God has ever made is yes in Christ Jesus. So they are here, activated for us by Jesus. Look at that verse, all right? 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Every promise is, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus by the amen of the church. 
I've paraphrased it. But what it means is he secured every promise God ever made. God downloaded all his promises in the Old Testament. He downloaded them all, all through the Old Testament. The devil didn't worry about it because he didn't think Israel or mankind could, could in, inherit those promises because they kept failing. What he didn't know is that there was one who would never fail on them and cash them all in. And that was Jesus. And so they were all downloaded in the Old Testament. Jesus, the zip file for all of them, opened them all up for us. Now they're all ours. They're all ours. And what we do is we call the so be it, call the amen in on the promises. So he's looking for a people who will watch him and be ready to call on a promise that in the spirit he wants you to deposit for a particular situation. But if we're not watching it, what's going on? So he wants us to then prophetically watch and see a situation and call a so be it, call a promise in to the present activity. That's the prophetic and the promise. That's what a prophetic activity of the Lord is doing. He's calling us to speak the promises at the timing He wants them accomplished. That's what prayer does. But we're not watching. And I'm not bawling you out. This is a general sense. I mean, I'm speaking to me too. I'm learning a lot here. Okay? So I'm not yelling at you. If it seems like I'm yelling, I'm not yelling at you. I'm challenging us. You know, we're not calling the prophetic insights and promises of God into situations. We're usually telling God what we think he should do. Something's flipped on this. Something We've got to go back into our prayer closets and say, give me eyes to see. What am I to say? What am I to do? Direct me. I want to see you. I want to hear you. Because when you step into a situation that I think is the Red Sea and can't happen, you've already got the remedy. The landscape changes. Mountains change. You and I are looking at the mountains, and Jesus says, oh, come on, man. I moved that mountain. In the spirit realm, I moved it. Somebody say it. Didn't Moses have to say something to the sea? Didn't he have to raise a staff? Why didn't God just do it? Because he wants to work with us. He wants us engaged. Gideon, he said, you're a man of valor. Well, why didn't he just make him president? No, he said, now go knock down every idol. Right? Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, are these, can these dry bones live again? He says, only you know. Good answer. Smart answer. <laughs> only you know, God. And he says, yeah, they will. Now, go say this to the bones. Why didn't God just make it happen? He needed the man of God to say it. You say this to the dry bones. So he says everything he heard the Lord say, he said to the dry bones because God gave man dominion into the earth realm to speak the authority of God into the earth realm and he willed it and then he began to see those dry bones come together. God has given us all the promises. Now he needs you and he wants you through your imagination and through what you could even ask for to see him call forth those promises in each situation. But you have to fight for it. You have to move in it. You have to stay with it. And you call in the reality of this thing. I've been praying for someone. I was at the hospital again this morning, just praying again, God, praying the same healing prayer and a new healing prayer and, and calling on angels and doing whatever we can, fighting demons and fighting them back because when, when you're calling on the will of God, the enemy wants to come in too. 
And so we're in a battle, we're in a war. How many people win a war when they throw a grenade and run away? And then next week they go throw one more grenade. You see, we've got to get in this thing. We've got to fight, we've got to battle. There's enough of us here to keep prayer moving on something and to call out and look at the timing of God and pull it down. So I wasn't going to preach, I'm just telling you things I'm learning. So, amen, it's done. Let's pray. I didn't have to have a conclusion today. Father, help us.